Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show with me, Michael Tinkster. We are on a mission to share what Maverick leaders know and do to build businesses that deliver strong results and positive impact on people, society, and the planet. Thank you to our brand partner, BizSimply, for sponsoring this episode. BizSimply is the all-in-one workforce management software that enables your business to become more efficient and profitable. The software designed and built by hospitality experts to enhance the way shift-oriented operators manage their business, optimize their entire people journey, and making every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, how we grow, and how we serve our customers. Together, we wanted to share strategies and tools to make the industry thrive long-term. Consistency. You don't have to change every single part of your life in order to succeed at making these beneficial changes. If you can find a few different circumstances in your life in that you can do that consistently and you can keep that going on the long term, that's going to be far more beneficial for you on the long term versus trying to convince yourself you're going to do this eight week challenge to get from A to B and at the end of it, you'll forget all about it and job done. This is Eleanor Rees, performance nutritionist and PhD researcher. And she spent her life to better understand how food and performance are connected. She's worked with a number of professional sports clubs and athletes from a number of disciplines. And she is now on a mission to help everyone to improve their overall health and lifestyle so they can live their best life. This conversation is slightly different than normal, but super relevant if you are, like me and many other leaders, are looking for effective ways to become more healthier and gain more energy so you can show up as the best version of yourself to all the things in life and work. We talk about her journey and why she became a performance nutritionist. Ellie shares that nutrition is a completely personal goal and therefore there is different solution for every person. What we can gain from becoming more aware about what we eat and some of the amazing transformations he's seen over the years as people change their diets and relationship with food. We talk about the typical myths around food, nutrition and plant-based food. And Ellie gives a number of great hacks on how you become healthier and stronger by making small changes to your diet. If you like today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review of the show on our website, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guests, and ultimately, the better the learning for you. Now, dear Maverick, it's time to grab pen, notebook, and I can promise you, you will reflect on your relationship with food, what you eat, and how that can impact your performance. Enjoy. Today, we will be talking about some of, you know, maybe, you know, something that really occupied probably about 80% of my life is food. Because I am, we are from the food industry, the hospitality industry, and I love food. And uh, I uh, really love scratch cooking. And the, the last couple of years, I also found out how important food is actually for my performance, for my brain performance, for my body, for my mood. 
And uh, as I've been part of another projects I've talked about before here, the, the Pulse Kitchen, I also found out, you know, plant-based food, how much actually that can do for you. Uh, and also what the, you know, the, sometimes there's the downsides by eating only plant-based. Um, yeah, and all that coming together with an introduction I got from one of the, the guests that's been a couple of times, Alistair Gordon. Um, uh, and it actually came from a session we did in January around goals. And we talked a bit about people's goals for fitness, for, for life, for nutrition. And uh, he said, you need to talk with Eleanor. And that's why Eleanor is here today, actually to talk with us about how we feed our, you know, body, but also our brain better. And actually how we actually through that can actually get better performance. So welcome to the show, Eleanor. It's a great pleasure to have you. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So what we actually thought we would try to break down today was in principle to get a better understanding of how you actually do this in the right way. There's a lot of advice out there. And actually what you have over the years will drop into in a moment is actually how you actually use food as a vehicle for performance in a way. And that's quite interesting to think about the people listening to this podcast. They all have high pressure jobs and they need to perform on a very high level every day. There's demands from left and right, both from private life, but also from work life. But to give people a bit of a context, it'd be great if you could share your story and uh, how you ended it as a consultant for nutrition and uh, what you do today and uh, what kind of work and so on. But let's start with the story and actually how you ended on this track. Uh, Sure. I mean, I'll go right back to the beginning for you, which is where my interest in nutrition originally came. Um, So most interestingly and probably importantly is I was born with celiac disease as a baby. So my entire life I've had to be aware and control and educated around what I can and can't eat. Um, Growing up, that resulted in a lot of barriers. It resulted in me having to break down a lot of uh norms that most people just hadn't really heard of and then from there i developed an interest in helping others with nutrition and i went on through my education to to study an undergrad in exercise health and nutrition a master's in sports nutrition as myself i was a very keen sports person so i was fascinated by the relationship of nutrition and sport initially And through that, I did some work experience in some various professional circumstances, football clubs, rugby clubs, independent professional athletes, and got a real taste and understanding for the impact something seemingly simple as nutrition has on performance, both professionally and as in a sporting environment. Once I finished my master's and had done some uh, work within sport, I was starting to develop an interest in general populations and working out that the impact factor was so much higher than in sport itself for myself. I found it incredibly interesting to work with um, people that were trying to just make it through the general strives of life and how that was affected by their nutrition. So I decided to move away from sport and set up as an individual consultant working with all array of people. And for to this day, after about eight years or so, I continue to work on individual basis. I work on corporate basis. I work on educational basis. I go into schools, I go into workplaces and I try and share 
one healthy and simple knowledge but also allowing people to understand um like you mentioned before that there's a lot of misinformation out there and that does not help a lot of people and being able to put it into a context that's personal but also able to go forward for the long term of people's health and that's kind of what's brought me to where i am today and what is your your mission ellie in all this because you, you know you went from from sports which i could imagine it's where it's really important you know you, you've heard about tour de france uh cyclists how they eat and it, it feels absolutely crazy how they feed themselves during a tour de france the principal pasta isn't it and uh water and some electrolytes but um but what what made you make that shift you know because i could imagine it's quite exciting to be in the sporting world so i checked out some of the places you've been and it's quite exciting you know football clubs and rugby clubs and you know you are the the, the preem the people that really want to change because it really impacts their performance but what made you do that and what is your your your, your mission now as much as sport had its satisfactory levels where you know you're wanting to help people get towards their next championship or their next premiership or their next title it it wasn't changing their lives livelihood per se it was getting their performance out and that to me wasn't is not the most satisfactory i found from a job and as i was working in sports i was also starting to just work with general individuals and i was finding I was getting far more enjoyment working with a person one-to-one -one and seeing them being able to completely transform how they were living and enjoy a much healthier and long-term future. In sport, once you've kind of ticked the boxes and you've you know achieved your gold medal and things like that, your nutrition is always going to be important, but never to the same degree. Whereas if you can change the way you eat as a livelihood and the way that you are day-to-day, you can add years to your life. And that was far more satisfactory to me. Um, and that was personally, some, you know, many people love working in that sort of professional sport environment for that satisfaction. But I was, that just wasn't where my passion laid. And, and what is the uh, the mission now when you are working with more individuals and corporates? What, what, is, what is that you would like to see in, in the future in the work you are doing? My biggest passion now, I would say over the last few years, particularly as I've started a PhD in the last few years, I've been fascinated by the behavior and psychology around food, challenging these social and cultural norms that we almost fear rather than working out what's best for us as individuals. I have client after client who fear taking on other parts of their lives purely from outsiders or a, a behavioral perspective versus actually what this could do for them and their health. And that's what the last few years I've started to really hone in on and look at these behavioral changes that people can then feel for the long term. And I guess if you are able to crack that and actually teach people these things, you your impact would be much bigger than it was in athletics and professional sports because suddenly it will be population groups you might change things in. Yeah, exactly. And your impact level isn't just, you know, these transformations. It isn't just getting someone through six weeks and getting a before and after photo. It's about someone that can take on these 
new habits new lifestyles that that means you know if i see that person five years down the road they should be exactly where if not better where i left them off they you know i always say to clients if i've done my job properly you should never have to come see me again uh, that's um and, and that's like giving them life skills a bit like language skills or financial skills is actually something that can help them really manage something they can impact themselves with let's say we eat three times a day you can actually make a contribution to that three times a day what what is like uh, that makes you stand out you believe what what why is your approach different so i i've been starting over the last couple of years to read a lot about food but for different reasons but actually egoistically most to actually find out how should i eat as an individual and and, and right now i've been reading we talked about last time uh, Tim Spectrum's, you know, Food for Life. And there's some lots of learnings in there. And I love a lot of what Tim's is talking about. Where I feel quite aligned with him and the way I eat and things like that. But what makes you stand out if, you know, say Tim Spector takes a very scientific route and bring a lot of data in from the, the Zoe project? What would be your, like, your approach to this and uh, that's different from others? The most biggest example where I probably vary to most is I try and translate this into a real circumstance. There's a lot of science, there's a lot of data that can back up evidence and back up, you know, general um, information, but general populations are, are not taught nutrition. You're not taught nutrition in school generally, you're not taught nutrition as part of any form of education. And here we are expecting people to understand and interpret huge, vast amount of data and somehow succeed in remaining healthy in a good weight category and all these kind of different areas when actually no, not many people and above all else, the health industry is not taking responsibility in educating people to what it means for them. And I'm a huge advocate for finding solutions that are personalized. There's no good in just simply throwing out a statement of calorie counting doesn't work when, you know, someone might be quite numerically driven. Someone might need to understand the value of things in order to make certain changes. It doesn't make it right or wrong. It's finding a solution for them as a person. Some clients don't even want to know a calorie or a meaning or a number. They just want to have certain types of foods in their diet and they need to be accessed and educated differently. And that's where I feel that I come in and I help people understand that it doesn't matter what your friend or your uncle or a book said, it's what works for you. Yeah, uh, that's super interesting because what I've learned myself is that food is a very personal thing because it's uh, how you perceive it, but also how your body reacts on it. And, you know, uh, there's some people that wouldn't be able to eat like I eat and actually they would gain more weight by eating like I do. I found out that was really interesting. And also they would get more tired where I actually I get energy from the food. And that's also like you said, like some people react very badly, I know, to gluten but I don't have a reaction to that. So it's fine for me to eat. Um, uh, and I think that's also what's starting to become clear to me that it's such a complex matter. You actually, you can only focusing on yourself and that some of it you would have numbers on, but actually for me, it's about how I feel when I've eaten it and what it gives me as an individual. That's how I see it as well. But could you 
talk to us a bit about, you know, because we're very interested to hear about these transformations that's going on. If that's with a, you know, a client you start with, we can just come up with a fictive client here, but what is typical the situation and what kind of transformation is going on and how long is that transformation and what are they saying after that? So initially, if we take, for example, a weight loss client, as that is probably the most common, um, which then can expand into many different areas of their health, um, most people will start off wanting to lose weight through some kind of program, lose it through um, meal planning or different foods and things like that. Um, but I would say the meal plan and the programming is probably the smallest element to it. The biggest part is spending that time week on week and working through with clients. What does your week look like? Where do things fit in? Do you have social occasions that are non-negotiable? Many of these transformation packages that exist expect people to put their lives on hold anywhere between six and 12 weeks and to essentially do nothing other than this exact transformation. And all that's going to guarantee them is at the end of that six or 12 weeks, they have no tools, no understanding, and they don't know how to translate that into their real life. So what inevitably happens, they drop whatever they've done and they revert back to how their normal life can live. Whereas what I do is I will still give them that information. I will still give them the food and the portions and the control in order to be able to lose what they want to, but at a much slower and more successful rate. I don't ban anything. I don't remove anything that a client likes or enjoys, but I teach moderation and sacrifice. A lot of people don't like talking about sacrifice because it's a harsh reality a lot of the time. When clients come to me and say, oh, I really don't want to give this up and I have to negotiate. You know, if you want these changes, it requires A, B and C but there is a medium to be had. If I simply told them, you know, okay, don't drink alcohol for 12 weeks whatsoever, that's it, once you're done, that that provides no solution. That just means they've done three months without alcohol, they've probably achieved their goals, and by the end of that, they're desperate for um, being able to resume their old life and what you know, old habits return and no learning has taken place. So it's about finding that happy medium along the way and teaching techniques to create that long-term change and that's why it will go on anywhere but i've had clients for three months i've had clients for three years and it will be for as long as they feel necessary that they can make these changes for the rest of their lives so that, that that's the ultimate goal you know have you know sustaining behaviors in principles because what you're talking about is small habits that you want say and i love the thing where you talked about less but maybe even better you know, um, one of the things I did myself was I, I, I love chocolate. So actually what I've done is up my quality of chocolate. So it's way more expensive. So by automatic, I will buy less of it. But I, when I do, I just maybe have a piece or two because that's enough to satisfy me because the quality is so good. I actually don't need a whole bar of chocolate. I can just have two pieces of that bar. And then there's maybe for two weeks in that bar if I'm very, very good. But in a way, it's a bit like the reward after a hard day's work on that afternoon where you're reflecting Friday afternoon about, okay, what a week or what 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 went well and and that just gives me like you know, and I don't drink a beer then, but I take my piece of chocolate and that's what I need. That's the I, I'm happy with that. And then actually, the alcohol over the years just gone out automatically by getting kids. 
but and then suddenly I didn't didn't I didn't crave it anymore in a way. So I got I can drink a glass of wine, but I don't really crave alcohol as part of my diet. So actually that happened automatically. So it's interesting you say alcohol because I think alcohol I found out with my body, and I think when many people I talk about when they then end in the situation and get children where there's not the time to go out all the time and drink a glass of wine or go to the pub and have a three pints. That's where they find a lot of performance, especially in their head. Uh, you know, the mind suddenly get less blurred on a on a weekday because you haven't been out in a way, or because you have to perform with your kids. So it's really so. So what is like? Um, what is the what, one of the biggest breakthrough you've had with a client where you thought, that, okay, that that transformation where we went from to from A to B, and this is like, and this client is just you know as talking about this as that's that's like a life-changing moment well what is that weight loss or is it um energy what is it that's that happens in people's life i'd say it's multifactorial i mean there's one guy that particularly sticks in my mind um because he is probably very quintessentially relevant to you know working in the city doing 60 70 hours a week got a family he has to commute home to and life had just gotten away from him he was trying to you know do some cycling and things like that but you can never as they say outrun or outcycle a diet and i think it finally come to a head when he had a health check and he found out he was type 2 diabetic wasn't even pre-diabetic had completely bypassed it and gone flying into type and i think sometimes that provides the shock that a lot of people as they get you know approach that sort of more midlife range realizes you know you're not infallible in the way that you used to be and if you don't care to take care of yourself these conditions are are incredibly dangerous and so he came to me having gone got this um diagnosis and we did an entire i think it worked out about a year but it was the real first six months that he really changed and yes he lost weight but to me that was probably the smallest part of his change he completely re-educate himself around the way he ate the way he looked at food the way he approached food um he pretty much stopped drinking entirely apart from you know these very few occasions he was able to challenge really simple norms that he worked out could really fit into his life and his family life and he um did really well and not only did he reverse entirely his type 2 diabetes in a year which was incredible is he actually um i think it was about eight or maybe eight or ten months into our he picked up the biggest promotion of his life and was transferred to amsterdam i think purely it couldn't have been a coincidence through his productivity his alertness his success and this all came from starting from changing his nutrition and changing the way he looked and treated food and the way he treated his body and it was incredible to see the shift and you know I still see still still see him on you know social media now four or five years later and he's absolutely flying and it was ignited by changing his diet wow wow and i uh, i know that you know myself that um, i could definitely feel when i made the and it was not in one day, but over time, as you said, it was not like a shift I did, but I did it as I was reading and become more interested. I started changing things from, you know, 
we haven't even got into that. We'll come to that in a moment. Ultra processed food, you know, and just taking that out of the diet, what that does in itself. Um, but yeah, let, let's get to that point. That's an amazing transformation because now there's still these misconceptions, I believe, that people have about nutrition and food. Uh, and how do we actually, because I guess a lot of the work you do is actually, you know, you said that at the beginning, educating people. What is like the top three misconceptions people have about food? I say it's probably the first one that we mentioned that any volume of exercise can outrun it and it can't. It simply can't. And even if you are maintaining a relatively decent weight, that doesn't make you healthy if your food and what you're doing is, it goes far beyond that weight. Um, like you said, ultra processed foods, things that aren't going to be doing your gut any good. These can still result in health issues, irrespective of how active you, th- you may be. Um, I think the second biggest uh, mis- myth is probably the impact of alcohol. Um, there is no safe limit. It's not safe. It's a toxin that kind of comes down to it. It is a part of our society. It is part of our lives. And we have found a way to manage it in order to keep it within our society. But that does not mean it has benefit to us in any shape or style, no matter what research there is out there that says you can get this or that. You simply can get better without having alcohol. Um, And then I would say the third biggest myth is probably around supplementation now supplementation is a huge area and probably take an entire podcast in itself to go through but there are hundreds of products on the market particularly within supplementation that haven't even been tested on humans they can come to market just through rat studies and that i find absolutely horrendous that that can even get onto the market without having ever been in a human um and that supplements will create a shortcut or it will create a different type of life just through taking and and it's not there's no better way to eat than to get exactly what you need from your food yeah and if in principle uh, as i understand if you eat you cook most of your meals yourself and you make sure that you have more than 30 variants of, of vegetables a week so different colors different species then you should actually get the vitamins and you you spend some time outside you should get your d vitamins you should get them as well because that was i started reading it a couple of years ago and i got i didn't actually know that they only been tested on rats that just made me even more alert that made me aware that actually you know i was taking all these vitamins and they didn't really do anything for me maybe it was just like i was just putting money in the pockets of you know retailers or uh, companies that's making these products we'll be back in a moment after a word from our brand partner be simply and one of their customers goldex investment group they operate costa coffee and caspar's franchises as well as workspaces now it's over to bot Hemarshandra, their head of operations. The biggest win with Bisimply was freeing up the store manager uh, from the workload they have for the week. Scheduling and payroll plays a, a big part in the business. Obviously, it, it was taking over four hours a week for them before using Excel templates. They have to create the schedule beginning of the week and they'd have to finalize at the end of the week uh, for payroll purposes, which was taking around four hours, like I said. Now, I think with Be Simply, we managed to reduce it down to 
30 minutes or less. All they have to do is just finalize the, the payroll at the end of the week by pressing a button. It's that simple. So it saves us around three and a half hours a week per store. And that's the biggest win we've had uh, with Be Simply. Many people I talk with, um, they uh, they uh, you know they take these supplements because especially when you get into the forties and often that's also where you end in very demanding jobs and you think like you have these shortcuts you know to getting the right fuel in principle and does all the right thing your D vitamins your B vitamins your omega trees and all that whatever you you have a range you bought in your in your local health food shop but but what you're saying is that they might don't give you those shortcuts. And then what ways is there? I I, I think that I believe what I've read is like, if you eat a lot of different colored vegetables, you're actually going to get a lot of the vitamins you need and you spend some time outside each day, you will get the sufficient D vitamin as well to attack the function as a human being. Well, what is your experience with that? Is there any tips and tricks that people can, can get from this? Uh, definitely the color of the rainbow. Um, definitely all these different vegetables are going to be of use definitely um i'd say don't underestimate some of the things like your nuts and your seeds and uh pulses things like that they they seem quite minor in a meal but they can almost change the entire micronutrient availability to it things don't underestimate the little things within your meal um they are extremely important in creating that diversity in your diet um that's incredibly easy to add without too much time or effort um, I'd say the other thing is don't get stuck on the same meal or the same purchase. That's something that I do hear time and time again is people going and buying the same thing every day for lunch or making the same thing for dinner. And yes, it can be easy in a short term, but also you're not expanding the range and type of food that you're eating by, by having the same thing. You're going to end up with a very small micronutrient profile just through what's in that product or that meal. So don't be afraid to just mix up what you're eating in terms of your choice, because that inevitably will improve your micro availability without having to take a thousand supplements to make up for it. On top of the fact that a lot of these supplements don't tell people or explain how they're absorbed. They don't explain the bioavailability. They don't explain what's your body needs in terms of the way it interacts with other things. So for instance, very common examples is if you take an iron supplement, which many people do, whether that's women, vegetarians, vegans, you still need a good amount of vitamin C to absorb that iron. So if you don't have enough vitamin C in your diet and you're spending all this money on your iron supplements, then you could be getting less than the value, less than half of what you're trying to get in because nobody's educated you on what that actually means to take as a supplement and what needs to be a part of your diet to allow that to happen. It's um it's interesting because it suddenly it becomes, you know, for some people, oh that's that's rather complex. But actually I think it's it's very simple as you say as well, this variety of the diet you eat, because also we we are we are creatures of habits. So we get good at cooking things, for example, in the kitchen. And I know it for myself, like I have my favorite things I do, and especially when I get busy. These are the things I'm batch cooking. But in principle, I sometimes always I think, what are the two things to change us every week in the diet? What is it like that's going to be different on a diet as well? Um, 
Uh, is there any hacks on how you actually get around that? Because I guess the best way of eating and getting vitamins is scratch cooking. That's just my guess. I guess you can't go and buy this. We talked about hyper-processed food. You, there's no one that can sell this to you. You you have to get a bit involved if you want really to boost your, you know, your, your health or your immune system. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly what you need to do is when you're batch cooking, either make a couple of meals or each time you make that meal, change two or three ingredients. That's all you need to do. You know, if you're using kidney beans in a dal, then use... Uh, butter beans next time or use chickpeas or use lentils if you just choose and change a couple of ingredients each time that's not going to extend your time or your effort but will affect your nutrient profile then make it a habit that every time you make a batch meal change a few of those ingredients before you know it you've added multiple different foods to your diet without too much time or hassle so, so also I wanted just to go back because the second thing you mentioned was the perception of alcohol, where we try to make a glass of wine is good for blah, 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 for your health, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you said, no, no alcohol is good. That's a consequence every time you take it. What about, you know, this, this whole no and low wave? Is that a good substitute then? Or is that the same? Is that still because it's processed in the same way? As a non-alcohol, the only thing that hasn't been infused in is alcohol. Is that a better option or? I'd say from two perspectives there. So a lot of people are looking at non-alcoholic intake from two different areas. So first, purely from a calorific perspective, a lot of people are starting to choose that no alcohol alcohol, because it's just simply less calories, less energy intaken. Um, So from that respect, if you're trying to reduce energy intake and you do that, you have ticked that box from a very basic level. Um, In terms of what it does, again, is there any benefit to having a non-alcoholic drink? Personally, again, you're getting simple, probably simple sugars, simple energy, none of which that can't be taken from somewhere else, none of which that you can't get. You know, if you were to have um, fruit or anything instead, you're gonna get fiber with that. So, it's definitely a step in the right direction to reduce what I think, like I mentioned before, is this social cultural pressure to drink alcohol. It's becoming more acceptable to go into a bar and ask for a non-alcoholic beer or non-alcoholic drink. And I think it's an important step from that perspective in that people it's more accepting and more acknowledged that this is a choice that a person has by themselves it doesn't matter if the rest of that party is drinking alcohol and somebody's choosing not to but from a nutritional standpoint whether it's filled a necessary gap i'm yet to yet to see the jury out on that one but i think definitely from a behavioral perspective it's challenging norms which is what needs to happen with alcohol Super interesting, super interesting. What about, um, one of the things I was thinking about as well is uh, organic, non-organic food. Does that have a massive difference from a nutritional point of view? What is your view on that? So organic is generally um, having less chemicals and less, um, it doesn't get the, I'd say it doesn't have the sort of GMO and all those kind of things on it that has been proven through different research that can affect uh, bioavailability, it can affect um, even if it's been related to fertility and things like that. 
Um, the problem is with organic food, which most people are straight off the bat, is that it is a lot more expensive. Um, and if you are struggling with cost of food of living, you're not going to be choosing organic over non-organic. Um, so I would personally say if organic isn't something that's within the budget, then choose the best next option, which in my opinion is actually frozen vegetables and frozen fruit, because these things are flash frozen at the peak of picking, which they haven't had weeks or days traveling in vans and trucks. They haven't been sprayed down with chemicals to reduce um, them going off. They haven't had a lot of these extra chemicals, which the fruit in our fridges and in our supermarkets actually do have, that that is a really good, helpful middle ground for people to feel that are conscious of those chemicals that are a lot of the time out of our control. You can have apples that are sat in the supermarket in that look like they're fresh and they can sit in a freezer or in these processing plants up to a year before they even put out onto our supermarket shop floor. And that doesn't happen with frozen because that ha the freezing happens immediately within picking and they don't require those extra circumstances to keep them fresh because they don't need to. That's a super interesting insight because I think most people will think that frozen food have less or frozen veg had less nutrients than anything fresh I go. And I know that's the perception because actually I have a lot of frozen veg, veg in my freezer. So actually sometimes when we make batch cooking or something like that, that's what goes in because it's quicker. There's already the broccoli is already chopped or the... Uh, whatever it is, the sprouts, whatever you want to use is already, you know, ready to go in a way. So it gives a convenience angle as well. Um, but I actually, I knew some of the things you said there, but I didn't know actually it was so significantly different uh, in a way. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, the fresh stuff has less interfering with machine and process than the frozen bit. Yeah, no, a lot of the time it's the opposite. And like you say, it's not that well known. Um. That's, that's super interesting. That, that, that leads me to another thing I want to cover before we run out of time today is like, you know, plant-based diets. That's that's become a big thing. There's been big trends around it. Uh, there's more people, you know, transferring to a flexitarian diet and plant-based meals becomes part of it. And we're probably getting better at cooking it at home and we're buying more of this. And but lots of people like I talk with, because I, I'm not 100% plant-based, but my majority, probably 80% of my diet is directly plant-based um, and they always say, oh, but you can't get enough protein from that. Uh, and what what is your view on that? And what is your your learnings you've had with when, when people do a transition? Because, you know, eating healthy, you don't need to be vegan to eat healthy, but but again, there, there is, you can definitely manage it, I would say, to a plant-based diet to eat more healthily and get your protein. Yes, yeah, definitely. So with uh, eating vegetarian, most people generally have a wider diet they tend to eat a bigger variety of consequently vegetables legumes their grains their rices things like that so they tend to have a more diverse diet inadvertently which inevitably helps them from a health circumstance um from a protein circumstance there is the jury's out on that i think because of a lot of um protein replacements but you can get enough protein from natural vegetarian sources i think it's just looking maybe sometimes a little bit outside the box so 
There's lots of things like edamame beans now, edamame pastas, pea proteins, all these things that are being used as replacements and can help pick up the protein of a vegetarian diet. Um, sometimes when you go more to the vegan side, it can be a little bit trickier due to the lack of dairy products, but there's still no reason why you can't get enough protein. I also think that the amount of protein that people are striving for as well is quite uh, lost at the moment due to a lot of athletes and gym goers and things like that. I think the amount of protein we perceive we need is far that of what we require to maintain a very good, healthy, balanced lifestyle. Um, so having a good understanding of how much you actually need will probably show how possible it is to eat on a plant-based diet. The only thing uh, from a nutritional standpoint is vitamin B12. So vitamin B12 only comes from animal products. That is the only thing that cannot be reached through other foods. Um, so I generally recommend clients, if they do wish to be vegan or vegetarian, to supplement a vitamin B12. Again, that needs to be done properly, needs to be done safely, and needs to be done prescribed from somebody that understands how much and what they need, rather than simply sending them to a shop and getting this, that, and the other. Um, but there are plenty of ways that you can be nutritionally complete, if not healthier, on a plant-based diet and get all the protein and vitamins and minerals you need. You mentioned like one of my obsession is life and you know that is pulses. And I know when I combine pulses with grains and seeds and nuts and greens, I have like the complete amino assets uh, that I need actually to function as a human body. I feel satisfied. I feel full. That's enough protein for me to actually exercise and so on. Um, the, what is, do you see like, because I think, I think it took me, it's about seven years I discovered this magic of these pulses and then I've just been more and more obsessed about them and found out this is like nature's replacement of meat if you want to reduce your meat consumption. But what is your view on that? Does What do they bring in your view to the diet and what is the pros and what is the pros outside the, the diet as well? Mm, I think the thing with pulses is there's a huge variety of them. So again, the ability to create diversity is is easy and accessible. Um, I do think there is a slight misnomer in that they are a protein source in themselves. They're not. They are a carbohydrate source that have a better protein availability and volume to them, that of carbohydrate sources. Um, so it should never replace entirely your protein of that day but it, it helps as a functional part of your protein in that day because it has a higher value of protein than say a simple carbohydrate like pasta so it's incredibly useful for vegetarians to create like you mentioned a very wholesome um different and variety based meal that's actually going to have probably far more protein in it than just a bowl of pasta with something if you had you know four or five different grains in there four or five different bulks pulses and beans and things like that, you're going to get a much better profile of not only protein, but other things as well. Um, but I think they are, they can also be much more filling because of their fiber profile. A lot of people forget how filling fiber is, but you don't get just satisfaction from protein. If you have a very good longitudinal source of fiber, that's going to keep you full and satisfied for hours to come. And that's 
a big importance, particularly in a professional circumstance, when you, you know, you've had that lunch at the office and you would need to power through the next four or five hours. If you've simply had a bowl of pasta or you know, a sandwich from a shop, you're very quickly gonna lose the energy that you've eaten. Whereas if you've chosen something far more diverse, far more fibrous, you'll get through that afternoon in a much more balanced and energetic way. What about, um, you, know, you talked about the fiber, like um, is, is many, many people, so, so my reading on fiber is a bit like, you know, many people are fiber efficient, you know, they don't have enough fiber in the diet. Um, could you maybe, I think you're nodding, can you maybe talk a bit about what the typical way you get your fibers from? Because I think that's also where do you actually get fibers from and what are, where, where can I get more of that uh, during the day? So the best source of fiber generally comes from your fruit or vegetables. All fruit and vegetables is going to have a good profile of fiber to you. Um, to make quick increases in your diet, there's probably two real easy ways to do that. So first is switch to whole grain, switch to whole meal products. They're going to have a much higher fiber complex to them than some of the other products out there. Um, also look for fortified foods. Fortified foods will have more, um, not just, not just fiber, but other micronutrients as well that will help with that. So fortified foods in cereals, things like that are going to have more whole grains and more fiber in them as well so that's quite an easy swap to increase um and you need around 30 grams of fiber a day so it's not unachievable so try and split that up in your day split that up in your meals you know a, a, some decent whole grain cereal some good pulses and things at lunches a couple of pieces of fruit and a, a good variety of vegetables in your dinner and you'll easily tick the box for enough protein um enough fiber and that will keep you full and satisfied because you're not expecting this availability of energy to drop and peak throughout your entirety of your day what about um like coming back to how much you need per day you just go back to the protein is there like a rule of thumb for how much protein a human i know i guess it's individual what you need but like if you you should have like okay at least have that like you should be drinking a minimum three to four liters of water every day the difficulty with protein, and this is probably where the controversy comes from, is a lot of government guidance that's given out around proteins, particularly and other vitamins and minerals, come from the perspective of preventing deficiency. So government guidelines and government health guidelines are not based entirely on promoting the best possible health for somebody. They are there to prevent populational deficiency and they are there to ensure that everybody reaches a minimum standard um, and this is where the difficult comes difficulty comes in in terms of being able to optimize someone's health because as you just said it is completely personalized um, from a nutritionist standpoint as a professional myself I will always try and work it out on an individual basis based on the their goals based on their activity level, whether or not they participate in resistance exercise, um, and whether they're looking to change any compositional elements of their body. And I do that through a grams per kilo calculation. Um, if somebody wanted to ensure they were simply getting enough, um, you need to be I would say probably at least over the, the 1.4 to 1.6 grams per kilo mark for 
for an individual. But again, that can that will vary in gender, that will vary in age. So it's incredibly difficult to 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 nail down an, a singular number on that. Which again is like what we, brings us back to the very beginning is it has to be personalized because if you start giving out recommendations to anybody and everyone nine times out of ten you'll get that wrong for most people great great yeah that does give totally sense and that was also in a way what i expected you to get through in a way so so everybody has to in principle the best thing you can do to actually get you know a better diet is actually get understanding about what we talked about in the beginning as you said how personally can I change my relationship to food and how can I use food in, in a different way to power my performance? I wanted to ask you a couple more questions before we come to the end today. And one of them is like, okay, there's no doubt about that food is a part of how you show up as a better person. But what else do you do? It's like any any hacks you do to because you are going to go and help other people's improving their life. I guess you really need to be in the zone you know you need to be a reflection of what they would like to become in a way when in the job you do but what do you do beside eating really well and balanced i think it's through experience and understanding the empathy and patience that every individual deserves and taking the time to have the mental availability for that so I love going out and having uh, my dog walks. I love keeping fit and active. I love giving myself the mental space to provide the time and effort with every client as if they were my only client. Um, eating, obviously, the the eating side of things are, it's probably self-explanatory for myself, <laughs> for myself ex- example, but it's, as cliche as it is, it is all about balance and it's being able to take the time to appreciate and understand that. Um, I would say from another perspective is also something that you alluded to earlier, which is understanding how my brain works according to food and understanding how what motivates me and what I use food for and what that means in my life and by understanding myself in that circumstance i can understand others and i mean you mentioned earlier about coming home on that friday night and the word you use was reward so before without even realizing there's a connection there to food and rewarding yourself and if that's something that you know is a part of who you are and you get enjoyment and satisfaction through rewarding through food, then you need to hone in on that versus trying to run away from it. And that's that's the same as me. If I, if I know that I'm going to be reward-based, then I find a good alternate, like you did with the dark chocolate, to create that level of satisfaction that I'm looking for. And each person, and this is something that we find fascinating in the PhD that I'm doing, is... People are motivated in completely different ways. People eat because of what their friends eating sometimes. And that means that they're externally motivated. Some people eat out of stress and out of comfort and out of an emotional connection. And then others eat because they have rewarded what they feel is a deserved circumstance. And through understanding how somebody thinks and how they relate to their food, you can then get a better idea of how to prescribe. And it also comes back to that organic question as well, is if if I went around recommending organic to somebody and they simply couldn't afford it, my advice is is useless. I need to understand where they're coming from, what's 
their priority, what they can afford, what is convenient to them. Um, and like you said, also, you, if someone doesn't have the time and, you know, I'm telling them to cook a different dish every night of the week, they're not going to do that. They won't have the time. So how can we make sure that you understand where that person's coming from and there you give the solutions for them? And that's super interesting. It's super interesting again, because we're back at the personalization bit, but it was really one of my learnings as well. That's not like a, an average advice. There's, there's rules of thumb, but they're quite bad for you because you need to really put the time in to understand yourself and your needs and your, your body. But what would be like your, you know, if you just should give some like, you know, you have to see now to give some top advice to leaders. Many of these people listen to this podcast. They're leaders of business, they're leaders of teams, they're leaders in, in their own right, but they also have a family life and, you know, where they also have to perform. What what, what would be like, you know, your, your one or two top advice if they should change the relationship with food to the better and it impacts their performance? I think consistency. You don't have to change every single part of your life in order to succeed at making these beneficial changes if you can find a few different circumstances in your life in that you can do that consistently and you can keep that going on the long term that's going to be far more beneficial for you on the long term versus trying to convince yourself you're going to do this eight week challenge to get from a to b and at the end of it you'll forget all about it and job done rather than jumping to that that conclusion is step back and think what what two or three things can I change that will really impact my life for the long term? Is there something that I can reduce? Is there a boundary I can put into my life that improves my health? And that's the other thing in a lot of these circumstances is it doesn't matter what, you know, your colleague is doing or what your boss is doing or it's what matters to you. It's your health. You go to the doctor and you get your results. So remember when it comes down to it, who's the important person and who's the person that's going to get the benefit out of this. Yeah. Again, it comes down to actually also that you have a responsibility here and actually you can do a lot of change. You talked about your client earlier that really took responsibility and put in the efforts, the input, and then the output came, as you said, which, you know, uh, you know, he got uh, a new job and, you know, there's lots of things. And it looks like when you look from the outside today that that, that cycle of things has just continued because it's become the habit and the consistency is there. And actually, that's the hardest thing in everything. It's consistency and staying on track and do it the days you don't want to do it in principle. Um, is there a question, uh, Ellie, you wished I've asked you, but I didn't? And what would that question be and what would you answer it? I think potential is maybe how do I access the right information? That's, I think, a lot of the time that people don't know where to go. And that is no fault of anybody because we are in a society where it is everywhere. And if you want to get the right information and you don't just want to go typing into Google and you don't want to just put in any random question is... There's three things you should probably look for when you want to make sure you're getting the right information. Has this product or has this food type been tested and has it been in studies or journals? Take the time to look back and see whether anybody has actually tested these products that you're looking to put inside your body, first and foremost. 
Secondly, is is there somebody out there that has the credentials that can educate me on this? It doesn't mean that you have to sign up to change your life in X amount of weeks, but seek out the professionals that can give you the education and the knowledge to then make an informed decision as to what you want to do. Um, and then thirdly is try and remember that if somebody is giving you advice on what they've done and what they've succeeded on, step back and think about, would this actually work for me? Not whether it's right or wrong, but would that work for me? And where can I get the right information for me? Um, and as we're probably all aware, be cautious with social media and you know, journalism and papers and look where their sources are coming from, because that will speak volumes as to what the credentials are behind that information. That was a very good question. I should have asked you about that because we started out there and we actually didn't dive into that's a really, really good question, Ellie. <laughs> you did really well there. Good. So where, where can people find out more about the work you do and connect with you uh, online? Where's the best place to go? I'd say the best place to go would probably be to my website, which is just eleanorreese.co.uk. Um, there you can get an understanding of what I do, how I work, and all the experiences that we've discussed today and sort of where that comes from. Um, and like I say, getting some valid and safe information um, is probably the best place you want to go for. Go for. Thank you so much for, for coming and sharing your insight and knowledge about what kind of food we should be putting in our bodies to actually improve our performance, but also our life and also expectancy of life. So we can add a couple more years on in the end and live them in a, in a vibrant way. Thank you. No, absolutely. I completely agree. It's uh, all about that longevity and how to make the most of it. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate, or give a review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is the key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others, and the organization. Find them on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their socials at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bizsimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer from the Podcast Collective. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be maverick. <laughs>